My name is Juan Vasquez. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Let me add my welcome to you. Uh, you know, I was thinking next week would, add, uh, would mark my first year here at Oak Mountain. So you guys have uh, put up with me for about a year. So thank you. Um, but let me, let me pray for us and we'll jump into to, to our text this morning. Let's pray, let's pray together. Father, we have, we have sung this together, and we, we say it again now in prayer, Lord. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. Father, we thank you for the grace that... You give us, Lord, that in Christ you bring us to yourself, and not just that, but you extend grace upon grace and bring us to each other. And so we thank you that together, Lord, this morning we can look to your word and we ask, Lord, that what we lack, that you may give us, that what we are not, that you may make us by the power of your spirit through your word. Father, all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So today we continue in our sermon series on the means of grace, and my assignment this morning is to talk about Christian fellowship, Christian fellowship as a means of grace. And so if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to the letter of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. My points, my main points will come from other passages of Scripture, but we'll begin here at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll begin reading at verse 15. Uh, Let me ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Beginning at verse 15, listen carefully, these are God's words. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation? Note that word, participation. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many, are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. You may be seated. So as you can see, these verses that we just read are about the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm not confused. Uh, this, this, the focus of today's sermon is about Christian fellowship. Now, why do I begin there? Why do I begin by looking at verses that talk about the Lord's Supper? Well, if you remember a few Sundays ago, Pastor Chad preached on the Lord's Supper as a means of grace. And in that sermon, one of the things that Pastor Chad noted was that another word for the Lord's Supper is communion. Communion, that word communion finds its biblical roots here in the verses that we just read. 
So verse, 15, uh, verse 16, Paul says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? That, that word participation in the Greek is koinonia, which can be translated as communion, which is where we get, or sometimes we call it communion Sunday. Uh, but another word for koinonia is fellowship. Fellowship. And you, you can see the relationship between the word communion and fellowship, right? There's this relational aspect to it. Now, why do I, why do I call your attention to, to that word, fellowship? Why do I begin there? The reason I call your attention to that word is because fellowship is really at the heart of what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. But by using the word koinonia, or fellowship, Paul is teaching us that in the Lord's Supper, we not only remember the death of Christ, but we also have fellowship with the risen Christ. We not only remember the death of Christ, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, we not, we not only remember the death of Christ, but we have fellowship with the risen Christ. Those who come to the Lord's table by faith and joy, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, a fellowship with the risen Christ. But that's not all. Not only do we experience this vertical fellowship with Christ, but we also experience a horizontal fellowship with one another. The Westminster Confession of Faith reminds us that the Lord's Supper is not a private matter. Right? We, we don't celebrate communion in the private confines of our homes as if this is just some private individual feast between us and God. That's, that's not what we do. Right? We, we, we come together as a congregation and we celebrate, we, we remember and then we celebrate our communion with Christ, but also our communion with one another. And, and this communion is not optional. Right? This is not like going to, to Chipotle where you can say, well, I, I want good Music, give me a good uh, worship songs, give me good worship songs, g g give me good, good Bible reading, a good devotional, but fellowship, oh, that's not what we do. It's, it's not optional, right? In fact, when we look at the, the, the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, when we begin to read about the birth of the church, Luke tells us that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that they devoted themselves to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and that they, and, and they devoted themselves to fellowship. To fellowship, that is that they, they persisted in it. They continually gave themselves to fellowship. Now what is it? What is it that we mean when we say Christian fellowship? Is getting coffee with a, sh with a friend fellowship? Is, is getting together for a barbecue fellowship? 
yeah, th- those things are good and proper and have their place. In fact, if you have a barbecue, let me know, right? Those, those, those are good and have their place, but for the New Testament church, fellowship signified something much deeper and something much sweeter than that, right? It, it signified the, the sharing of life with one another, it signified the participation in each other's joys. It signified the participation in each other's griefs. It signified the participation in each other's burdens. And it signified the participation in each other's holiness. It signified the participation in the Great Commission. In his book, Habits of Grace, David Mathis says, it is a shame that the word fellowship has fallen on hard times in some circles, and it is dying the death of domestication and triviality. Fellowship is dying the death of domestication and triviality. Now, let's hear, we as a congregation here at Oak Mountain, lest we become guilty of neglecting or even minimizing the importance of Christian fellowship, we have to ask ourselves, why should we devote ourselves to Christian fellowship? That's, that's the main question I want us to deal with the, the rest of our time. For those who are taking notes, this, this is the main thing, right? Why do we devote ourselves to Christian fellowship? Well, well the Bible gives us three answers, and these are going to be my three points. We, we devote ourselves to Christian fellowship first for the sake of our encouragement. Second, we devote ourselves to Christian fellowship for the sake of our faithfulness. And third, we devote ourselves to Christian fellowship for the sake of our mission, for the sake of our encouragement, for the sake of our faithfulness, and finally, for the sake of our mission. Let's look at each of these one at a time. It's a big question. Why do we devote ourselves to Christian fellowship? First, we do so for the sake of our encouragement. Look with me to Romans chapter 1. I think the verses will be up on the screen. You can follow along. Uh, You can also turn there. I I, I want you to see what I'm pointing pointing out here. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, Paul says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. When these verses, Paul is laboring, he is working to assure these believers, this church at Rome, that he indeed has true affections for them. Though he's not been able to visit them, Paul wants them to know that he is constantly praying, constantly longing to be with them. And and, and these are not mere pleasantries for the Apostle Paul, right? He's not just saying this to be nice to this church. In fact, in verse 9, Paul elevates the height of his desires for them by bringing God into the picture, right? He says, God is my witness. 
that I long to see you, that I long to be with you. I am constantly praying, Paul says, that God would somehow, some way, allow me to come to you. Why? Why is Paul so eager to be in fellowship with these believers? Verse 11 of Romans chapter 1, in the middle of that verse, Paul says, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Both, both yours and mine. Paul's desire is to be with these believers, and, and his reason is that he wants to in, impart to them, he wants to give them a spiritual give that is encouragement. And, and notice, that, notice, notice that the kind of spiritual encouragement that Paul has in mind is a two-way street, right? P- Paul says that he wants to give encouragement and he also wants to receive encouragement. Now, I find that to be a little shocking. This is a shocking statement. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about here. This is the man who's responsible for almost half the New Testament. Surely, He does not need encouragement for baby Christians, does he? I mean, this is the man who said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I had visions of Christ and I had revelations of him and I was caught up in the third heaven. Who's been caught up in the third heaven here? (laughs) Whatever that means. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the man who said, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. The man who said, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The man who said, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. And yet, here is Paul longing Praying to be a God, a, among God's people. Now, there, there's a lesson to be learned in here for us, isn't there? In a time where it is common to have or to hear the sentiments, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. In a time when we're so comfortable to disregard the fellowship of believers in the church, Paul is teaching us that Christianity is never synonymous with individualism or isolation. There is no such thing as living the Christian life without the fellowship and the ministry of God's people. That doesn't exist. Christianity is the sharing of life. It means being brought into a family that, yes, it's, it's at times a hard family, a messy family, 
and even an inconvenient family, but nevertheless, it is a family that God himself is purifying, a a family that God is making holy. Scripture talks about it, talks about the church as the bride of Christ. He is making her holy, and one day she will shine brighter than the sun. To belong to Christ's people is to to belong to Christ is to belong to Christ's people. So about a few, maybe a month, a month and a half ago, I started doing F3. Any, any F3ers here in the room? F3? One, two, great, awesome. It, it's, it's great. It's, this is a peer-led group that meets around 5.30 in the morning to work out. A little crazy, but, uh, but it's great, right? We, we, we get together, we work out, and we, we do all kinds of things. We, we do push-ups, we do burpees, we, we do sit-ups, we run about a, uh, three, two or three, three miles, about a 5K, every, uh, uh, on top of everything that we're doing. Uh, and usually when we, when we run, we, we run as a group. We start off as a group and everybody is, you know, they're killing the game, you know. But lo- slowly, there's a group that begins to lag behind. Confession, I'm usually, uh, I'm always lagging behind with the group. It's, it's hum- Yo, it is humid in Birmingham. It is, and it is humid at 5.30 in the morning. But the, the beautiful part about this group is that those who lag behind are never left behind. Those who lag behind are never left behind. Usually the guys who are in better shape run back to get the guys who are lagging behind, and they begin to run alongside of them, encouraging them, pushing you, come on, you can do this, another, another five minutes, you can do this, run, go, go. Well, that's precisely what Paul is eager to do here. Paul wants to run alongside these believers and benefit from the mutual encouragement that comes from each other's faith. And the question that we all need to ask ourselves is this. Is my participation in the fellowship of believers characterized by the sharing of life? Has your Christian fellowship shriveled down to the brief hellos that we say when we come in and out of church? Brothers and sisters, let us continue to cultivate the kind of fellowship where we benefit from the gifts and graces of Christ's body. I need you as much as you need me. God is mediating, he is giving to us encouragement by our fellowship with each other. Well, not only do we devote ourselves to Christian fellowship for the sake of 
our encouragement, but we also devote ourselves to Christian fellowship for the sake of our faithfulness, for the sake of our faithfulness. In Hebrews chapter 3, you can turn there or you can follow along. Hebrews chapter 3, the context of this chapter is, is, is part of an admonition against rebellion, but also a call to faithfulness to Christ. The, the author of the book of Hebrews is concerned that his audience will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so as a way of warning them, he reminds them of the people of Israel. Hebrews chapter 3 Verse 16, he says to his audience, he says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Israel had been the recipient of divine revelation. They had received the promises of God through the mouth of Moses. They they saw the mighty miracles in Egypt, right? They they saw the ten plagues. They, They saw the Red Sea parted in half. They walked on dry ground. God led them with a cloud by day. And with the pillar of fire by night, they they received bread from heaven and water from a rock. And yet, Israel rebelled against the Lord. At every turn, that generation was hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When they were thirsty in the wilderness... They believed the lie that God intended to to kill them in the wilderness. When when they were hungry in the wilderness, they believed the lie that Egypt's menu was better than God's provision. Worst of all, when, when they needed to exercise patience, as Moses was up in the mountain, they believed the lie that Moses and God jumped ship. They believed that they'd been abandoned, and so they created, they made for themselves a golden calf. And so with with this warning, with this picture in mind, the the, the writer to the Hebrew says to to his audience, take care, brothers, verse 12, take care, brothers, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care, watch out, be alert. Now we must recognize that the weakness of human nature that was displayed by Israel is a nature that we share with them. Right? We're all part, we're all tainted by sin. And so the, the weakness of human nature that was displayed by Israel is something that we share with them. We are all prone 
to hardness of heart. That is why we, we resonate with the song, let your grace like a fetter, like a chain, bind my wandering heart to thee, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We're all prone to hardness of heart. So what is the remedy to Christian faithfulness. If we're so prone to wonder, what is the remedy to Christian faithfulness? Well, in verse 13, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, the remedy is found within the context of Christian fellowship. Right? The writer says, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The remedy to hardness of heart is Christian fellowship, is the exhortation that happens in Christian fellowship. A few years ago, I don't make it a habit to watch the uh, animal planet. I should, it's really good illustrations. Um, but I, I was watching the Animal Channel. I, I even forget what the name of it is. But, but I learned an interesting fact about the spotted deer. The spotted deer. This is a, a type of deer that is native to the Indian subcontinent. And, and what I learned about the spotted deer is that they only have two color receptors in their eyes compared to our three. Two color receptors, and, and, and what that means is, they are, is that they are essentially colorblind to the colors gre- uh, red and orange. They, they can't see red and orange. No big deal. Except for the fact that that's usually the colors of a tiger. They're colorblind to it. They can't see a tiger. In fact, the, the orange, reddish color of a tiger looks green to the spotted deer. And so they're essentially defenseless to to an attack by a tiger, except the fact that they they get help from an unusual friend. In that same episode, they they talk about the Lunger monkeys. Never heard of them. But, But what's interesting, And fascinating is that this type of monkey is known as the eyes of the forest. I mean, like, you can't make that up, right? The eyes of the forest. And this kind of monkey has three types of color receptors in their eyes, just like us. And so they can see red and orange. And so what happens is that these deer, when they're feeding on the green grass and can't see the tiger lurking, right, in the background, getting ready for the kill, as they get closer and closer and closer, the monkeys can spot the tiger and begin to scream, and it sounds the alarm for the deer. We're in danger. Danger is lurking in the background. What's my point? Well, my point is that we all have blind spots. 
right? We, we all have sins in our hearts and in our lives that we are colorblind to, and if left unnoticed, they will begin to drag us away. They will begin to slowly harden our hearts against the Lord. And again, the question for all of us is, is are you part of a community that exhorts you? Do you have fellowship with other believers who can sound the alarm in your life against unchecked anger? Are you, are you part of a fellowship that can sound the alarm against unchecked pride, unchecked lust, unchecked covetousness, Uncheck coldness of heart in your devotion to God. Sin has a thousand colors that we cannot see in isolation. But sin cannot hide for long in the fellowship of the saints. It cannot hide when you participate in the life on life with other believers who don't just tell you what you want to hear, but who tell you with love and care and patience what you need to hear. So we devote ourselves to Christian fellowship for the sake of our faithfulness lest any of us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Well, finally, we devote ourselves to Christian fellowship for the sake of our mission, for the sake of our mission. Look with me to Philippians chapter 1. Again, I think that will be up on the screen. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God always in remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership. That, that word partnership that Paul uses here is the same word as koinonia, which means fellowship. And so, so Paul is, is thankful for the Philippians, and he pray, as he prays for them, he makes his prayer with joy because of, his, because of their fellowship, their partnership with him in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, two things I want you to notice about the nature of Paul's fellowship with these believers. Two things. First, notice that the fellowship that Paul that exists between Paul and the Philippian church is a fellowship that is grounded in the gospel. It is grounded in the gospel. When you get to the root of the matter, their fellowship, the fellowship that Paul enjoyed with this church, is a fellowship that's based not in any political affiliation, is not rooted in any social economic status it's not even based on ethnicity instead is a fellowship that is grounded in the work and in the person of Jesus Christ it is grounded in the gospel itself 
In his book, Life Together, Bonhoeffer says, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and community in Jesus Christ. In other words, what brings us together is Christ. And what keeps us together is Christ. In fact, Paul makes this extremely clear in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the wall of hostility so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. The ground of Paul's fellowship with this church is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the ground of our fellowship is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing I want you to notice about their fellowship. The second thing that I want you to notice is the orientation of this fellowship. The orientation of this fellowship. Paul says that he is grateful that the fellowship he enjoyed with the Philippians church enabled him, allowed him to go preach the gospel. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4, we learn that this church financially supported Paul. Not, not, not only that, but one of the members of this church, at the risk of his own life, left to go and minister to the needs of Paul. Why such devotion? Why such commitment to one another at the cost of each other's lives? Paul and the Philippians church understood that the God who unites them is the God who commissions them. The God who unites them is the God who commissions them. The church is not a community called to be isolated and insulated from the world. It is not a community called to self-admiration, but to Christ's proclamation. It's not called for self-admiration, but to Christ's proclamation. God has ordained the church to be a means of grace, not just internally to each other, but externally to the watching world. He has commissioned the church to be a means of grace to the world by commissioning her, by, by, by sending her to share the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died for sinners. He has commissioned her to be a means of grace into the world, to share with them the good news that, for, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The church is a means of grace not just internally, but also externally. David Mathis, again in his book, Habits of Grace, says that even our love for each other 
serves as a public witness to the world. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Gospels? By this, they will know you. They will know that you are my disciples if you finish it for me. Love one another. Even our love for one another is a witness, is a means of grace to the watching world that we belong to Christ. And we preach a gospel that says that Christ died for sinners. And so as we partner, as we fellowship, we devote ourselves to Christian fellowship for the sake of our mission. For the sake of our mission. I'll end with this. John Piper once said, when you, when you, when you think about world missions, and, and just to make it more personal for us, when we think about missions over the fence, over the mountain, over the pew, got those orders mixed up, I'm sorry. Uh, when, when we think about missions in that context, John Piper says, we have three options when, we, when it comes to world missions. You can either be a joyful, sacrificial goer to a joyful, sacrificial sender, or three, you can be disobedient. You can be a joyful, sacrificial goer, a joyful, sacrificial giver, or, or, or disobedient. God intends for the church to be a means of grace to the watching world, and may the Lord continue to make this church, Oak Mountain, a means of grace, not just internally, but externally, that we may be the kind of church, continue to be the kind of church that joyfully and sacrificially goes, joyfully, sacrificially gives, and serves those in need. Would you pray with me? Precious Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that is true, that makes the heart glad, that revives the soul. Father, and we thank you for the fellowship that we enjoy with one another, and we ask that we would, maybe even this morning, be a means of grace to somebody else. Help us, Lord, to encourage one another in the faith and help us to be a means of grace to the watching world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I almost forgot to do this in the first service, but let me ask you to stand and receive the benediction. Hear the benedictions of the Lord. Uh, may the Lord himself, the God of peace, and our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the, of the sheep, strengthen you, sanctify you, and give you peace. Amen.